and based only on our opinion, objectively rank every album ever released in one single tiered list. I am your host, Josh Doler, and with me today is the beautiful Jared Richard. Jared, how you doing tonight? I'm feeling beautiful. Hell yeah. On, and on, Okay, so far every episode you're like, here's a new adjective, like a new positive adjective to describe Jared, and I'm like, oh, I look like a fucking dick, dude. What are you talking about? You're you're beautiful. You're illustrious, or yeah. Uh, what else have you used? Eloquent. Eloquent. You're eloquent, of course. Yeah. Honestly, there's some. You pull out these vocab words, and I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Listen, a, a new one. I'm a nice re- one. Here's the thing. I always, I'm always ready to go. I've always either drank and drank something with a bunch of sugar and caffeine right before I show up. So I'm just ready to go. But I gotta get you in the mood. I gotta make sure you're ready. You know, feed that rockstar ego there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, how you been? It's been about a week-ish since we last met up. You, you, a show happened that you were at. Yeah, uh, John Vanderslice played at Infinity Room, and it was a fucking great time. Yeah, t- what is it like going to a show while there's still a pandemic going on? What was that like? Um, well, it was really cool because, like everybody that i work with and everybody that's like in our current customer base are all very cool people Mm -hmm. and uh so it was uh it was socially distanced everyone was wearing masks um okay and the i'm sure that everybody that was there that can be vaccinated was i i like the people that i personally know i know were right um but yeah, the show was good. It, it was great. Um, it was a sit down show, so there wasn't a whole lot of like bumping around up with other people. But uh, it was he. He's a very, very interesting, very smart person, and okay. he likes to spend time between songs talking. And uh, before he goes, he, before he starts his set, he has a bunch of strips of paper that he has people write down questions on uh okay yeah and it's it could be about anything mine was uh have you ever had a reoccurring dream and if so what happened um there were questions about like how he feels about mdma (laughs) uh which he fucking loves apparently i mean yeah checks um and uh yeah it was super cool uh He's a very cool person. Awesome. Follow, follow me on Instagram. Yeah, I saw that uh, he showed one of he shared one of your uh, pictures from Instagram onto his story, and then Infinity Room shared his photo from yeah. his story on there. But that's really cool. Yeah, uh, the first time seeing the setup there, also um, in Infinity Room, the panels behind the stage look fantastic. Right. So that's what I was teasing last week. Uh, the uh, those panels have been a major headache for several months oh i can imagine um are those all led panels or how are they lit um, which if anyone wants to go check out at medium doormat um that is like medium format but doormat instead of format on instagram uh you can check out uh what we're talking about yeah so what it is um i can't remember what the panels are made of it's like mdmf or or it's not particle board. I can't remember what it's made of. Poly- but, polyestine or something like that. Uh, I'm not sure. It's a very, it's a fairly inexpensive material. 
and uh, they uh, we set up this sort of um, all like mostly wood laser cut CNC machine. Okay. Uh, like the machine, the parts of the machine itself are laser cut, not that it does laser cutting. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and uh, that was a whole hassle. Anyway, holes got drilled into these panels. Behind those panels is this grid um, that is made up of uh, one by one, um, and it's inside on the interior of each of the squares of the grid. We lined LED lights. Oh, okay. Um, and each uh, each column. Uh, has its own strip of LEDs, so those can all be controlled individually. It looks... It sounds like it was a lot of headache, but it looks really cool. And it also pulls double duty because it doesn't just look cool. Uh, The panels are drilled in such a way that they uh, diffuse sound. Oh, that's really cool, Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like this mathematically... I don't know. It's it's wild. It sounds really good, though. Right. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Well, eventually when live music comes back into Salem... Uh, definitely excited to to check out a show there because uh, music is starting to pop back up. I've seen a few people going to shows and uh, I heard a story of someone recently saying that like they were going to go to the when Guns N' Roses were in Portland at Rigged. the yeah. Moda Center. And then but they bought the tickets back when it seemed like, oh, hey, maybe we're, we're over with COVID for the most right. part. And then the Delta variant started climbing. And they're like, all right, I'm not, this isn't worth it. And like a week later, the Moda Center was like, hey, so by the way, you got, you got to be vaccinated or have a negative test to come to our shows. And like, mother fuck, you couldn't have done that a week earlier. Right. Couldn't have done it a Brutal. week earlier for me. Um, so yeah, so once more broadly vaccine requirements or negative tests get into venues, i'll be excited to go see shows but it's just so yeah it's pretty hit or miss right now yeah with just everything everywhere anyways so anything else you've been up to this past week um i mean we finished moving in Woo! <laughs> um f- for the most part uh this room is still uh not exactly what i would like it to be um but it's uh it's coming along there's That's still good. there's still a couple boxes under my desk that are uh, headaches to deal with later. Yeah, well, uh, we're now sharing space with the drum set also, so that's fun. Right, you're 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 in your own little pocket right now between my desk and the drum kit. So, uh, <laughs> you know, this is I like to be in the pocket. Right. Um, man, that would be a great segue if we went straight into Wolfpack. Yeah, but really anyway, would. But <laughs> anything new with you in the last week? Oh, geez. Um. Mostly just trying to, you know, you know how everyone's talking about being on your grind and having the right mindset and how, you know, that's too hard to talk about as two different things together. So you just got to get on your grind set. Right. I've been on my grind set recently. Okay. (laughs) Um, I've been helping out my partner with their Etsy shop. They do um, the home apothecary stuff. They Mm -hmm. had their first market ever um, this weekend. So yeah, help them for 15 hours uh, this weekend doing that. Plus all the set up and tear down uh worked my full nine to five job and then also have been uh trying to get better about showing my because obviously both of us do photography whether or not it's good or not is debatable but we do it it's, right. it's on instagram um and so um mostly my family has been asking for ways to buy my prints and i'm like i'm a poor i'm a poor 20 some i can't right i can't uh, afford to print these off for you and, and ship them your way so uh set up a online shop for uh 
stuff to get sold. So now I'm hawking my wares on the <laughs> on the internet. Excellent. Uh, so my grind my my grind sets it, it's ready. It's it's good to go. And if so, you want to find them, look for Dolor Film Photography. Yes, at Dolor Film Photography on on Instagram. Uh, and yeah, so. After, after we're done uh, pimping all of our other things we do, <laughs> let's get back to the podcast that we do. Oh, and, we do a podcast? Yeah. Again, the grind set. It's got to be right. Right. Yeah. That uh, was kind of a mess. And speaking of a big mess, let's transition into the first album we're doing. And I hate myself for that transition already. No, that was great. All right. Thanks. Uh, so the first album we're talking about today is Big Mess by Danny Elfman, which is the second album he's released in... Since 1994, so that would be like, what, 27 years? Right. And uh, it's his... I'll interject real quick. Yes. Because it is, by name, his second solo album. But most Oingo Boingo fans... Uh, I'm getting ahead a little bit, but... Yeah, you're good. Most Oingo Boingo fans really consider Danny Elfman's solo album to be an Oingo Boingo album. Because it was really all the same people just the album says Danny Elfman on it instead of Boingo Boingo. Right. Um, So if we're taking it back to first album since uh, his days in Oingo Boingo, it's been about 40 years. Yeah. uh, Since he's released music that was not for film scores, because he did Oingo Boingo, which we'll get into, but was a semi-successful new wave band in the late 70s, mid 80s. Uh, and then Danny Elfman transitioned into doing film scoring and film composing. Right. And then has composed over 100 movies, has composed symphonies, has composed um, operas, you know, a, a whole bunch of different stuff. And they're great. Yeah. Uh, no, they're fantastic. Uh, he did. He's done every single Tim Burton score. Uh, I, I Every single one? Yeah. He's the one, per, like, ever since he started working with him um for oh geez i don't remember which one it was but once tim burton and him worked together he's done every single tim burton score since then wild um he's also done you know so that includes batman uh nightmare before christmas uh he also did the uh toby mcguire spider-man uh he did age of ultron avengers uh i also want to point out real quick he is the sing specifically singing voice of jack skellington in nightmare before christmas yes uh not the speaking voice yeah, um, and it's so funny to me that uh, he kind of got this all started when he was still in Oingo Boingo. He started kind of writing right. film um, compositions in 1981, mm-hmm. um, and then Oingo Boingo's probably biggest cultural hit song um, was when they did the theme song to the 80s movie Weird Science. Uh which is a point of embarrassment for Danny Elfman, if I remember right. I mean, I, I could see that. Uh, if the audience hasn't got, gathered by now, I'm a pretty big fan of Danny Elfman and Oingo Boingo. So what is it about Danny Elfman, before we get into more of this album, like, what do you, what is it about him that just draws you to him? As, as He's one of the people that, would you consider yourself kind of like a super fan of his, or? Um, I mean, not a super fan. I, what... He's just like a textbook weirdo. Okay. Uh, like he seems like one of those guys that like didn't have any friends in high school, mm. and except for the theater kids that he hung out with. Um, seeing him like earlier interviews, like in the eighties, uh, he, he's just a fucking goofball. Right. And uh, he, 
is an incredible singer. He has a, a, a amazing singing voice, really good range. Um, and uh, his lyrics really kind of go all over the place. Um, okay. And the and the reason there the main reason that he cites is that uh, for a lot of Oingo Boingo, he would take inspiration from literally anywhere and would often write um, from outside perspectives, like from not outside perspectives, but uh, perspectives aside from his own. Right. Uh, More of a third person writer. Uh, well, not necessarily third person. Like, cause he still sing, will sing, sing from first person, okay. but it'd be like, you know, he'd just read a newspaper article about, uh, whatever given thing and then be like what if i wrote a wrote a song from this person's perspective Mm, what if i wrote a song from this person's perspective um and so because of that he kind of amassed a sort of wide variety of of uh subject matters right so yeah let's get back into kind of the the personnel and the what's what of the album so big mess uh it was released the All right, so let's get uh, kind of back to explaining what this album is. Um, so Big Mess, released by Danny Elfman, either his second or first ever studio release. Um, it was released the 11th of June in 2021. Uh, and this is the uh, credits for it. Uh, we got Danny Elfman uh, doing vocals, guitar, and synthesizers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Josh Freeze uh, doing drums. Stu Brocks on bass guitar. Robin Fink on guitar, Neil Brosh on guitar, Warren Fitzgerald on guitar, uh, Sydney Hobson on percussion. Uh, then we got Joe uh, Martone on percussion. Uh, Petra Hayden is a female vocal solo. Holly Sedios uh, was the female chorister. Uh, Annie Schubert was another female chorister. And uh, Danielle Withers, the last female chorister. So the the chorus, the, the chorus, the female choruses, um, and then we have uh, Lear, uh, the Lear's Quartet on strings. Uh, the Budapest Art Orchestra was the orchestra. The Budapest Scoring Orchestra was the orchestra for Happy and Sorry, which we'll explain why those are different <laughs> later. Um, and then S- Steve Bartek was the string orchest- orchestration. Um, yeah um, on it i he's said before um that so steve bartek is the guitarist for oingo boingo oh really? And, okay uh from what i understand he has done all of the orchestration for danny elfman like he danny elfman started getting into scoring film and then uh steve bartek would do the orchestration oh interesting okay yeah. cool cool um so the reason why um sorry and happy have a different orchestra uh, for the orchestration on it is that Sorry and Happy were originally singles mm-hmm. released in early 2020 to hype people up for Danny Elfman doing Coachella in 2020, mm-hmm. um, which would be the first time he had been performing live. He would be doing reworked um, Oingo Boingo stuff, uh, live versions of his film score because he was inspired by seeing uh, Hans Zimmer mm-hmm. do Coachella live. Uh, and then release these two new songs, which is would be his first two new songs in forever. Right. Um, and then COVID happened. <laughs> right. And I remember, I remember when Sorry was released. Um, I believe that was the first one. To, and uh, yeah, 
he uh yeah he released it and i was like oh wow this is wildly different from what i expected uh this should right. be interesting and then there was a long long gap between uh that single being released and this album being released yeah um so this entire album was was written during covid um he was not preparing to write this entire album right um he and his wife uh, during COVID went away to their, uh, what everyone who's a multimillionaire does when pa- uh, pandemics and other things happen. They got out of town and went to their ranch. Um, <laughs> but he brought a guitar, he brought a little recorder and brought a mic mm-hmm. just in case, you know, whatever he wasn't expecting to write anything. And then an lo and behold, team song, double album, uh, 18 fucking tracks came out of it. Um, and so yeah, he wrote it. He wrote it all during the pandemic, all during COVID, all mm-hmm. during Trump's last year in office, right. uh, and all of those things are very heavily influential to the lyricism and the style and the tone of the entire album. It's industrial metal, uh, uh, experimental yeah. industrial metal. I think is the best way to classify it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, I remember sending it to a couple friends and being like, hey, this uh, this sounds like Danny Elfman just listened to a bunch of Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson. Yes. Uh, and then released an album. Yeah, no, uh, he was definitely influenced by Trent Reznor, um, who I think he just released a remix of Sorry, Trent Reznor. Yeah, featuring did. Trent Reznor. Yeah. yeah. So obviously very big influence. Uh We'll get into it on, on certain tracks, but I also got some other like late nineties, early thousands alt rock influences, polls, homages to you could say mm-hmm. with some of his choices, um, which I thought was very interesting for a guy who you know did kind of weird new wave stuff and then scored you know a bunch of of films. It was it's just right. a not what you would expect from um, that person Mm -hmm. um and he did say that this album was kind of therapy for him yeah uh he specifically said "Ah, i didn't understand why people did therapy and then i wrote this album i was like okay i kind of get it now (laughs) it's like that's such a and also he's 70 yeah 68 almost 70 like so this is kind of an old man right like releasing his first solo work right uh in a long time and this was a lot to take in as an album what okay what are your thoughts because you i feel like you might have more succinct better thoughts than i do at the moment on this album right well yeah i've been listening to this album since it was released so i i've had definitely more time with the music um and uh yeah it's uh it's definitely a lot to digest um there's a pretty good range of emotions that he goes through in terms of how it you know relates to the general overarching theme of right. 2020 <laughs> into 2021 that we've all experienced and there are these all these things that everybody can relate to mm-hmm. um in terms of you know isolation in terms of uh of uh social uncertainty social unrest um uh, uh political bullshit <laughs> um and uh uh you know being cooped up and not being able to you know get your rocks off when you want to uh we'll get to that song god Um, yeah uh but the uh my overall take for this album 
uh, and and this is what I was thinking about, especially the last couple days that I was listening to it, is that uh, it's very long. It's uh huh. It's very long, but I have a hard time saying he should have cut these songs. There there are very okay. few songs where I'm like, this album would be great if he just if he cut just you know these songs out. Okay, uh, and made it shorter, and then the rest. We'll get to them, but there are mm. three or four tracks that I feel that way about, and then the rest of it, and that takes it down to fourteen tracks, and right. the rest of it, I'm like, I don't, I can't cut anymore. <laughs> okay, um, I don't know if I like it, but I'm not sure if I'm supposed to like it. Was my main takeaway from the album? Like, I, I really, it's, it is rough, it is tough, it is also, I, I, it's think unforgiving. For it is sure. unforgiving. I think this is also an album that I am maybe not emotionally or mentally prepared to go through. Cause I'm still yeah. personally going through kind of the fallout of what 2020 was. Oh yeah, totally. So maybe in like three to four years from now, I'll come back to this album. It's, it's something and, uh, that you can listen to, to look back on and not something you can listen to as you're experiencing. Right. Yeah. Um, and especially the, the closest thing that I can compare this to, because it is a work of art trying to capture what 2020 felt like is inside by Bo Burnham. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Inside by Bo Burnham was better paced. Um, yeah. As a, I mean, as a if thing, we're, yeah. If we're one I'm to one comparing to, yeah. them, I wouldn't. I, yeah. You know. and, I, and I'm not trying to, but I feel like um, the emotion that I got from Bo Burnham's Inside was more cathartic. Mm-hmm. And this more brought me back to that moment. Mm-hmm, for and sure. I did. I don't want to be back in that moment right now. Uh, so it was a real tough listen for me. So that may color. Uh, my opinion on a, mm. a lot of this stuff, but I don't know if the orchestra works on every single track that the orchestra's in. I I wouldn't I, disagree with that. I think his vocal performance is also real rough. Um, I so I also want to say that again, you know, I listened to this album when it was first released, um, and I was like pretty not into this album on my first few listens. Okay. Um, I was still like, I just want to get like, like, I want to fully experience this. So I still listened to it, a, you know, a handful of times just cause I really liked Danny Elfman and this was the first solo thing he'd released in a <laughs> long time. Um, and I actually really enjoyed coming back to it to do this episode. Okay. Having had a break after initially listening to it and coming back to it, I'm like, you know what? This album's actually better than I feel like. I, and and the thing is I put it on my list because I was like, yeah, this album's like kind of good. I don't know. It'll make for an interesting discussion because right. it's right, kind of right on the edge for me. But coming back to it, I'm like, damn, this album's actually like really fucking okay. solid. Interesting. Okay. So I, if I come back to it, at a later date, which I probably will, I might have the same response to you. But, you know, first, like, week and a half, two weeks of listening to this album, like, it is it is unrelenting mm-hmm. in its tone, its uh, approach, its just maximalist weirdness. Yeah. But in ways that don't always work. For sure. And even within songs themselves, I, and I think this is true for the entire album as well, there are parts that I think are really good and then other parts that I think don't work at all. Mm-hmm. And that's constantly throughout the entire album. It's not like one song is good, one song is bad for me or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's that the songs wildly vary in quality and consistency yeah. throughout the entire album. So I think that is also part of the, this feels unrelenting. This feels like it is... 
just taking me to a place I don't want to be at the moment. Right. And I don't think, I don't think his lyricism or his vocal technique or any of the instrumentation allow it to take me there for a, a good reason. I don't, I feel like it is more of a manic, like I just, I'm feeling these things. And instead of yelling them into the void, I'm going to record them. Right. Um, and so I don't think there's enough redeeming qualities mm-hmm. on this album for me to feel like this is a, a journey worth going on multiple times. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I, like, it is a bit of a slog, too, because um, the production, like, a lot of the songs sound the same mm-hmm. back to back to back. There's a lot of the same guitar tones, the same, like, modern kind of, uh, uh, like, hardcore metal, like that that mm-hmm. overarching genre, yeah. Hev- Hel- heavy drum sound. Um, and and a a lot of orchestration too. Yeah. A lot of it sounds like very modern film scores as well with the very, um, grand orchestral, uh, it's a very marvelfication of film score. Yeah. Um, A little bit. I really enjoy it when it, when like it only hits at certain times for me where it's like the, you know, listening to it, I could, I could be like, this could be playing in the background of a scene or whatever. Like this, this feels like a film score. Um, but with, you know, lyrics, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but um, there are times, I don't know, there are times in the album where everything kind of falls into place and it's like, this sounds like, um, we'll get to it. There's a specific song where I'm like, this is the most Danny Elfman song on this album because it, it sounds like, uh, it, it's got the like kind of off the wall weirdness of Oingo Boingo and the sort of like uh unnerving edge that Oingo Boingo had in a lot of their stuff. Okay. Uh, combined with the sort of uh you know sweeping orchestration that comes with his experience at you know scoring films. Right. And they combine together in just the right way in this one song. We'll get to it though. Right. For sure. Um. So, what song do you want to start off on? Because oh. for me, I'm I'm good with starting with the first song. Uh, uh, yeah, let's start sorry. with Sorry. Okay. Um, the first note that I wrote down was, this feels like something Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins would write. Not in a good or a bad way, but just like this This feels very, give Billy Corgan access to <laughs> uh, <laughs> film orchestration and as high a budget for a production that he wants type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just with that like very weird, very heavy... Um, mid '90s Smashing Pumpkins guitar tone, right? Um, it's it's very kind of zero Smashing Pumpkins is is the um, vibe I'm getting on the guitar tone. I I really do like the um, female or choral yeah aspect of it at the uh, start. Um, I think it's the most natural mixture of the orchestra and guitar together. I think it's definitely one of the stronger tracks. Yeah, um, yeah, that was the that was the single released and. Uh... I remember being really surprised by how different it sounds from anything else that we've heard from Danny Elfman before. Um, and I wasn't quite sure about it until like probably my sixth or seventh listen to that song. Okay. And then I, and then like what makes that song, I feel like is the way it builds over time. Cause it starts out fairly heavy. Right. And then by the end of it, it's reached this point where it's just like bubbling over and mm. like, it feels out of control and ugh, it's, it's solid to me. Yeah, no, it goes from like an eight to a 12. I right. Think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
is this part right here where it has the just overwhelming everything is happening at the same time everything's mounting back and forth with the headphones the very maximalist um energy throughout the entire thing is is really good production technique i think um definitely something that if it was used more sparingly throughout the album um i think it would hit a lot more but this is this is a production technique and a production style and a wall of noise wall mm-hmm. of sounds that is is constant especially throughout the first side of the album yeah um, well um there it's definitely a double album like the first yes. half of the album is is its own thing and the second half of the album is its own thing but they they're still very similar to each other in overall uh production mm-hmm. um that's part of what makes this that's part of what makes this album a slog yeah, uh, I think the only other note that I had on Sorry specifically is that it's obviously a very anti-Trump, fuck you, I'm still here and I'm going to say the things I'm going to say about you, which we've all right. felt that thing of like, oh, you get, you're a big baby and you get very offended when people say bad things about you. <laughs> well, well, sorry. Yeah, um, like the last um, last l- lyrics of the song are, uh, sorry you exist because you suck the fucking air out of my lungs. I am not afraid to die. Still alive, still alive, and I won't let you bury me. Mm-hmm. Which I think is very on brand with a lot of what this album is lyrically. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's some heavy sarcasm in some, some songs. There's a lot of very overt, like, uh, the state the political state of the u.s right now is fucked up and uh, like i'm not going to shut up about it right because how can you right (laughs) and i think one of the downsides of this album i think is that it either hits or it feels like it's something that the lincoln project which is the republican backed (laughs) anti-trump um cash machine that uh right got control of the democratic party during the last election but it's it seems like that's something that they would be like, yeah, no, this these lyrics would really stick it to Trump type thing. I, I think mm. when it hits, it's it's doing a pretty all right job. But when it doesn't hit, it's very centrist Democrat, very Demo- Democrats now, like yeah. all of those very pro Nancy Pelosi, very pro, neoliberal. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is obvious because he's, you know, a 68 year old, uh, yeah, 68 year old man. But it just doesn't guy from uh, I don't actually know where he's from. I didn't I didn't write that down. I, I can look it up here in a second, but Oh, it's not important. Yeah. Um <sighs> fuck me. But anyway, see, yeah, uh, I think sometimes it's a little too on the nose and it doesn't really hit um which I think that's just a problem with a lot of cultural critique of Donald Trump at the moment, especially with political music, is that he's such a caricature and he's just so out there that it's yeah. really hard to write scathing satirical music about him because like all the things that we thought used to be very edgy and and wild and offsetting are just just accurate now yeah exactly so you can't really parody him anymore um right and i think that's where some of the lyrics on on this album do fall down a little bit you can't really get too clever when trying to write lyrics about trump because there's nothing like it's just all out there yeah. Like, it's just all right there in front of everybody. You can't, like, point something out because everything's been pointed out because he right. doesn't fucking hide anything. <laughs> right. And there's no real, like, he, the, the 
things that are so obviously evil about him are not things that you can just like easily slightly reference you know it's not like how bruce springsteen was like oh no actually uh born in the usa is a pro workers uh liberal song but people just misconstrued it right um or how rage against the machines uh killing in the name of was like a, a an angsty um libertarian uh anthem even though it's actually anti-police right um like it's really hard to write political songs at the moment uh just because of how characterized uh, the political leaders have been i think and i it you know as i said it falls victim to that i think a little bit for what, sure what's a, another track you want to talk about good or bad um well let's talk about um let's talk about in time because it's one of only two i think kind of ballad tracks okay um it's of the two i think it's the better one um, I think it's more dynamic and I think that the strings work really well in the song. Okay. Um, that being said, it's definitely not one of the strongest tracks on the album. This feels like a rejected film score to me. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a bad way, but it just, it has that, like, what if Tarzan said, we want to go with Phil Collins instead of go with this <laughs> type thing of um, just like really heavy, heavy synthesizer based, more slower. Um, you know, I could, I could see a, not in a bad way, but you know, just like a, a student art project mm-hmm. or um, a B movie that's trying to do a, a, adventures style a big emotional scene using that instrumentation um but i don't think it hits as well as he's going for for me and i can't tell if he's trying to do like a tom waits thing with his voice that i picked up on that too um i also want to point out overall in this album that um that this is a uh kind of vocal uh uh characterization that he's never really done in anything previously right um he's very much like uh you know he's kind of a belter like he you know i mean just listen to uh the soundtrack to um nightmare uh nightmare before christmas right at nightmare on elm street uh <laughs> nightmare before christmas on elm street <laughs> um <laughs> and uh like you know he he's got a pretty like i mean there's this one song that i uh practiced the vocal part on over and over and over again because it's really difficult to sing right it took me a long time to even get close to what he's able to do on it um but he on this album it's all very uh mainly pretty low in his register not super low but pretty low in his mm-hmm. register very reserved a lot of the time sometimes he gets kind of uh kind of gritty with it gets kind of uh more head voice right. but a lot of it is very much like in his chest and very uh very samey right th- uh from song to song to song i wonder if he was trying to evoke something with that choice and i think right um i don't think it just hits and my other thought my my original thought when i first realized that you know what we've heard in the past from danny elfman isn't going to appear vocally on this album right is that like he's uh almost 70 years old and we probably (laughs) you know 
he, he went on tour a lot uh he's probably just like worn out yeah that is true he did um in one of the interviews i was reading he did say one of the main reasons that oingo boingo never did a reunion tour is because he didn't want to risk uh more hearing loss for himself and probably the other band members mm-hmm. so it's very possible that his vocal cords are also just kind of shot right and and that's what he can sing and i think you know when it again with this entire album when it works it works and when it doesn't it just kind of doesn't um which it's a very broad basic thing to say but you know um and i think for this it um i do enjoy that slower more ballady Mm -hmm. um it kind of feels unfinished which is a weird thing to say i can kind of see that yeah. yeah it just feels like he didn't really know where he wanted to go with this and he just kind of wanted to write a slow ballad that was introspective and i think again going with the whole film score thing of if this was a film score it'd be easy to just fade it out but he he's writing a song right that's how yeah i i feel the same way about the other ballad on the album too so it's uh they they felt like they were in there because they needed to be more so than they like they needed to be in there to balance out the album and give you a couple of times to take breaths right but even when they are the breaths they're still the same heavy breaths as they as the rest of the album is um i'm gonna go to the next track in the album everyone loves you um i really like the vocal effect throughout the uh, beginning of the yeah. song the um ec- i believe it's just an echo yeah that he does on it um i think that could be double tracked but i think it's an yeah echo. I, I think it's but it i think it just really works i think this entire song it builds over the seven minutes really well i think this is one of the more musically interesting lyrically interesting mm-hmm. um well put together um songs that definitely justifies its its track length i think as well um it could definitely be a bit shorter Mm -hmm. um because it is a seven minute long track but i think overall it definitely justifies it doesn't feel like it drags to me i i you said it justifies its length and i was like wait how long is it (laughs) i had to pull it up to see right um and i I love the fact that this is an entire song about how he doesn't know whether or not he can consider himself the artist that other people consider him because he spent mm. his entire career writing music for other people and right. for other people's visions and creative and from other people's perspectives. Right. That was a bit, that was a big thing. I read a couple interviews about him, uh, with him talking about this album and he's like, this is the first time, like he was like, this is really the first time that I've sung from my own perspective where I've written lyrics from my own head, not pretending to be somebody else. Right. And it's like fucking scary. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think that this is seven minute kind of um, him coming to terms with that reality. I, I think it, it does a really good job um, of that for sure. Mm-hmm. Just this part right here, which is it's one of the more slower bits. That I was in the sign. But it's still him, you know, coming to turn. And this is probably one of the more experimental songs, probably, and more prog songs. He does, like, prog a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's dabbled with that in the past. And I, I think the fact that this entire song is about him trying to figure out his own voice, mm-hmm. in, in a sense. And I, I do like the fact that it um, does all of these different things. And I think the choruses feel a little out of place. It's more, it's one of the more of the same parts of the right album which i don't think the song really 
needed as, no, as much. This could have been kind of more of a like not necessarily a ballad because it starts out with that very kind of eerie, very Danny Elfman esque um, chord. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure what the chord is, but this atmosphere at the mm-hmm. beginning of the song—it's very eerie. Everybody loves you. Got a very sort of uncertain Everybody feel to it. Um, a little haunting. Which wouldn't really work as like a ballad, right? Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. This song, this song lands pretty well for me, and uh, yeah, the chorus is very similar to the rest of the songs on the album, right? And it, I, they change tempo for the chorus, I think, also. Mm-hmm. And if it's not tempo, then the more aggressive, um, a more aggressive bass drum, more aggressive drums in general, very heavy guitar, right? Um, heavy, um orchestration on it makes it feel like it is it is driving way more than the rest of the song does and i think that's where that kind of disconnect comes from but maybe that's what he was going for right on the song because yeah what i was gonna say is that uh you know my overall feel about this album and why i was saying like if i were to cut songs i'd have a hard time cutting songs is that uh the songs themselves in isolation because a lot of these songs suffer from sounding too similar. Right. But so many of these songs in isolation are so good. Um, and if you sort of ignore the fact that they've all kind of got a very similar <laughs> right. sound overall to them. Right. Then they all become very interesting. I think this is a great collection of songs. And I think that the chorus of this song right. is one really strong example of like, if everything else, it like if all of these songs were separate and this didn't have all these other songs that sounded like it squished next to it, then it would right. stand out as being like a really fucking good track. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think the song that I like the least, and we'll just touch on this really quick. Cause again, we have 18 fucking tracks to, <laughs> well, we're well, not, we're not going to no, talk all about them. all of them, but <laughs> still, even if we only talk about like a third of them, that's still like, but, uh, dancing with the lemurs. I just, I don't like the beat that he's going for. I don't mm-hmm. think his voice has the power in on the recording to, to keep up with what he was going for. Mm-hmm. Um, the instrument, n- none of the instruments work for me either. Really? Yeah. I just, it just doesn't hit. It's one of the, it's again, one of the mm-hmm. things on this entire album where if it, if it all hits, it's great. But if it's not all on the same, wavelength that mm. just completely falls apart and i think this is a song for me that just really falls apart i can't real i like the kind of samba beat mm-hmm. um but outside of that nothing really supports it or holds it up or makes it feel like it was a choice that got it was it was an artistic choice that did not get paid off in any way shape or form for me mm. um but yeah i i don't know i like this song I'm fucking biased though. I'm gonna like. No, I mean, no, if, it's, if it hasn't become clear by this point, like I'm fucking biased. But uh, yeah, this is definitely like one of those tracks. Like basically, this whole album. Like the more I listened to it, the more I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, and this is one of those tracks that, like, you know, if you would ask me on one of my first listens, like, hey, what's one of the weaker tracks on this album? I'd be like, Dance on the Flamers. Right. 
but now I don't know. I uh, I don't know. It works for me. Yeah, I, I think it's super enjoyable. I think, I think it's one of the more. Uh, we'll say the more forgiving, more relenting tracks on the album. That is you fair. Know, it's it's got a sort of uh, sway to it, a sort of like comfort almost. Mm. I can see that. I think also part of it is this again falls into a lot of what the first side of the album falls into, um, which is it just sounds like a film score that mm-hmm. maybe got rejected <laughs> you know um and so i i think when his instrumentation and orchestration work the best together is when it feels like they're in concert not when it feels like he had this 10 seconds or 20 seconds of a, a film score that got rejected and now he's just reusing it in a song i think mm-hmm. that's when it's the weakest for me and that's what that song sounds like to me and that could be the that could be any of these songs, you know, it, mm-hmm. depending on personal preference. It could either be, oh, yeah, this song hits and this song doesn't or or vice versa. You know, mm-hmm. um, do you have anything else on the first side? Uh, disc uh, one that you want to talk about? <laughs> disc one. Um, yeah, let's talk about Serious Ground. Okay. Um, I didn't have time to look up the lyrics proper on this one. Um, but lyrically, it's one of my favorite tracks on this album. Um and it's you know it's a uh it's a proclamation about like like hey you see these like fucking alt writers that are all just like coming together to beat people up and like right. proclaim that america is is before anybody else and bigger and better and more important and that everybody else can suck it right. that's called nationalism that's like that's literally like we have fought a war about this two we wars. should know, we fought two wars about this we should uh we should know what it looks like when it starts cropping up right um when the boots start mar- marching on the serious ground oh yeah when the started, you thought it's only a joke you had a couple of laughs every time he spoke cuz there's no reason to worry now it can't happen here Cause it's a third world story And we got nothing to fear And the crowd cries out with the glorious sound And the bonfire burns on the fertile ground And the fireworks light up in the moonbeam sky The children marching with their Labrador big eyes I really like the chorus. I think this is one of the stronger choruses that he has mm-hmm. throughout the entire um, album. Which I think in general, his choruses for me just don't hit mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, it's a lot of noise, not in a bad way, but yeah. it's just this, this entire song is a lot of noise. It's very like industrial percussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's hard for me to focus on kind of what he's saying because everything kind of gets lost. It's this, this is one of the more maximal wall mm-hmm. of sound. It's just going to hit you in your chest. Um, al- so- tracks off of the album. Um, and I think that's why for me, it doesn't hit as well as I think it probably should. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe it would, you know, five, six listens from now when I'm able to pick it apart mm-hmm. a little bit more, but, uh, yeah, the guitar tones themselves are kind of industrial in kind of a bad way. Um, really? Yeah. I don't know. I, maybe I'm just not a fan of industrial. I, I really fucking enjoyed it. I don't know. They're, um, there are a lot of t- very like uh, 
uh, very Queensy tones, like uh, it, Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, okay. So. <laughs> just just, there, ma- some just very making Josh sure. Tommy tones. Yes, that, although yes. we might not we'll, be we'll, talking about him very soon. Yeah. Well, maybe we will. We'll see. Well, uh, I just mean that there's some news about him oh, recently. No. Uh, have you not heard about no! this? Oh no, I know. Oh, I know. Uh, okay, tell me during the break which specific thing. Yeah, we'll get it. I'm we'll assuming get into I, it. I have an assumption. Let's just but, say yeah. I've been skipping Queens of the Stone Age in my playlist whenever it comes up for the last couple weeks. Uh, okay. Anyways, yeah. So, uh, serious grounds. Um, also, if the audience hasn't been able to tell so far, I'm fucking winging it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've had a bunch of life stuff happen right. recently, and I haven't really had time to to actually write down my thoughts. But again, I've been listening to this album for a while. Yeah, no, um, I, I think you're doing all right. This is definitely like I keep saying it over and over again. But uh, the more I listened to this album, the more I liked it. Right. And this is one of those songs that, yeah, listen. The first few times I listened to it, it was just like, whatever. This is more of the same fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that there was one specific time I went, you know, before we did this, before we picked this song for this episode, mm-hmm. um, where I was listening to it and I was like, I just need to go through and pick out what the good tracks are because there are, there are tracks on here that I like. Right. Um, and this was the first one that I got to and I was like, this. This is really good. Right. Also, oh fuck. I hope he's not like talking about Antifa in this. And then, <laughs> and then went like on a like a two hour long like binge of reading interviews with him and him talking right. about different uh different tracks on the album. And yeah, it's uh it's certainly about piss boys and, and fucking uh right. Patriot Prayer and yeah. All those fuckers. All those fuckers, three yeah. percenters. Yeah. Which I think Something that is always a thing when you ha- you're just always aware of, of like okay this is a very broad political topic which side are you kind of falling on at, right. at the moment but it, he seems like a pretty put together dude yeah no that that was actually something that I was kind of worried about uh, <laughs> uh, after you know I listened to the song and actually picked up on the lyrics and then I was like man he's not like fucking talking about like Black Lives Matter marches or anything like right that. yeah yeah and, yeah you know. Uh, uh, boots on the serious ground is not exactly the most specific, like you know, right, explicit yeah, yeah. reference to uh, exactly. Whatever. Yeah, um, I think that's kind of everything we need to say about side one. Yeah, um, you know, side one is kind of all the same within everything we've said so far. Uh, so going over to disc two, which is the more punkier side, yeah, which feels yeah. weird to say because it's not exactly punk. No, but that's what he said. Like that was him going back to his, his what he said his roots of, of a right. musician. Was it's being not a inaccurate punk though. No, I mean, there are yeah. definitely punk elements for sure. They're more up tempo, more. Uh, ah, man, I, I I can't even like pick out specific things about it. But you listen to it and you're right. like, yeah, punk influence makes. Yeah, sense so we'll start with um, Happy, which was the second uh, single released, which is. I do like the fact that he chose his two singles that came out before the pandemic to lead off each side. Right. And then the rest of it's the spiral um, on each side. Um, Yeah. So for Happy, uh, it's much more straightforward of a punk song. Um, I think this is a good use of the strings. It it gets less into the film score orchestra. 
point, which was, that was kind of the point of the first album was to mesh industrial and all the stuff that you learned from right. doing film um, scoring and, and composing. Yeah, but this it's less of a, a film score and more of like using orchestration and strings to support the song um, for me at right. least. Well, for me, this is the song that I was talking about earlier, where this feels like the most Danny Elfman mm. song on the Danny Elfman album. Where it's, uh, you know, getting back to his roots or whatever, uh, this feels like an Oingo Boingo song that has been re-recorded mm. and had the orchestral insight that he's that he's gained from uh film scoring to add to it. Right. Um and it it feels feels very much like Danny Elfman. Right. It's a little dancey, definitely very punk, a little uh film scory. It's it's definitely one of the better songs. It still kind of continues with the monotony of the entire album. Really? This one's a standout um, to me. It's it's a standout, but it's still like, even though it's a standout, it's still taking like one step outside of everything yeah. else well, for me. I, I, I think, and that's just the entire album is it's all very same production, same guitar tones, um, even though there's variation within it. Right. The overall feeling and, and vibe of the song i don't know the verses are so like the verses where it's just that um arpeggiating synth um and his vocals bouncing in his like multi-tracked vocals you right. know uh to emphasize the the thick sarcasm in this song right um no and i, I don't think you're wrong but i think it it could also just be that this is literally halfway through the album and you were a little fatigued. And I was a little fatigued. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. Um, I'll give you that one. Yeah. Uh, the next two songs are kind of interchangeable for me. Um, just a human and devil take away. Yeah. They, um, they're they the most similar sounding tracks on this album, I feel like. Yeah, no. Um, the, the main difference for me is that just a human mm -hmm. uh, feels a lot more like uh, Metallica guitar work. Like kind of pulling from the um, Black Album style guitar, so later mm -hmm. Metallica, not early early speed metal, but not slow uh, Metallica, but it, it kind of has that vibe for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then Dan, uh, no, ooh, no, that is the wrong. Uh, and then Devil Take Away uh, feels much more Queens of the Stone Age with the vocal flourishes and guitar work, right? For me, um, it's one of the. I think both of these are helped by the fact that they're so much shorter and so much simpler right? Um, than the rest of them. And I think these are the um, most, maybe not most Danny Elfman, but definitely the most standout, the, the most different feeling for me um, songs on the entire album. But Oh, you know what? I'm My previous statement of these two being the most similar sounding songs are not correct. I was thinking of, uh, no, was thinking of two different songs. Yeah, no, you're fine. So... Uh, just a human, yeah. It's it's a little more metally guitar, uh, Metallica y, as I said. Like a little more groovy metal. Mm -hmm. um, 
I do like the um, additional vocal work on yeah, here as well. That, that definitely feels very Oingo Boingo as well. Right. Yeah. Definitely you can tell that he did New Wave for about a decade. Right. Um, with some of the choices that he has in the very rapid fire vocals. Right. As well. Um, but this part specifically is kind of very... Um, that breakdown a little bit was a little bit more of that Metallica, like da 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 yeah. da 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 da. Um, yeah, but it, it's it's definitely dancey. I think it's one of the more dancey songs. And all the disc two is a little more dancey than, than right. It's uh, a tempo kind yeah. of like uh, you know the first side's very heavy, very dark, very gloomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the side's not necessarily up upbeat in terms of uh, emotion, but it's up tempo. And mm-hmm. and higher energy. It's like 10 BPM more, but it makes a difference. Right. Type thing. Um, and then this is Devil uh, Take Away. Devil Take Away. It's very Queens of the Stone Age of, with using a... Um, like a cocked wah effect on right. the um, vocal track as well. Uh, guitar flourishes just throughout the entire thing while the main riff is happening. Right. Uh, yeah, this... For some reason, like, some of my favorite tracks are on the second half of the album. Oh, same for me. Um, but I generally enjoy it less. I think... Overall? I think it's because the second side of the album is painting less of a picture where this first side of the album feels like it's kind of painting a picture of his career and how he feels and all right. that. It's much more introspective. And this feels a little more, I'm angry at the world and what's right. happening around me. Right. This is where the sarcasm comes out. This is where the sort of like tongue in cheeks comments happen. Yeah. It's very, uh, yeah, less introspective. I I'm, think it also could be just that like, you know, we're halfway through the right. 18-track album. And yeah, so, it's, so if this was the first side, maybe we'd like it better. Who knows? Right. But yeah, this goes... I don't want to talk about love in the time of COVID too much. All I want to say about it is that it... <laughs> uh, it feels like imagining your parents fucking... Or, or your like, parents walking in on you masturbating. Right, where it's like... Danny Elfman, I don't like, like, <laughs> believe me, I'm happy that like Danny Elfman, like still has a libido and still is trying to get laid. But like, also, I don't, you know, you know, I'm, I'm sure that like, I'm, I'm happy that my parents still have sex. I'm assuming they still have sex, but I don't want them to like explicitly talk about it with me. <laughs> yeah. Jared, Jared's parents, please don't message us and let us know. <laughs> Just let, let sleeping dogs lie. You know, Yeah, I, w- I want Danny Elfman to have all the sex he wants to, but like, I don't want him to specifully sing from pers- per- first person sp- perspective no. <laughs> to me telling me that he wants me to take off my clothes and he wants to see my skin. And he loves the and, video you sent him. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. It's not a bad song, but every time I, it comes up i'm just like ooh, grandpa danny no <laughs> um i really like the chorus um the vocals kind of jumping back and forth i like that part um everything else i it this feels the most middle of pandemic brain mm-hmm. song just like oh, i gotta get words out right um and then i don't really have anything else i really feel like i need to touch on um, um before we end kick have- me is fun i okay. like i don't think that like it's not a song that I would put on a playlist anytime soon. It's not something that's like cathartic and and uh, you know like 
part you know part like this is a really good example of like it's not introspective it's not uh conveying uh any emotion other than the world is fucked and i hate everybody you know uh kick right. me i'm a celebrity uh like love me love me uh Man, I'm trying. I'm just like pulling lyrics out of my brain right now. No, yeah, it's it's losers de- not invited. <laughs> yeah, poverty disgusts me. Like, <laughs> it's the most punk. But again, it kind of feels like a a centrist liberal Democrat takedown of Trump a little bit in the GOP. Oh, for sure. Um, and I think like it just doesn't. Again, it just doesn't hit as well as it probably should for what he was going for but I right know. i think part of that is that he sort of with this song locked himself into a lyrical structure that was hard to it, like it's hard to push out of very short sentences that are very repetitive right. um and very similar to each other um for sure so there's no like real reason behind the song other than like uh you know i'm just being a sarcastic person pretending that i'm one of these like gop jackasses right even uh, though he is a multimillionaire because he's a very successful uh <laughs> film score did, um, you, did you look up his net worth no i didn't i'm, I'm just, a, I'm just right assuming now. because he's done like over 100 um different scores of very popular um movies the only other thing to touch on which i'm surprised you did not get uh, which is that Insects is a reworked and more politically lyrical Oingo Boingo song. Um, no, it's not that I didn't get it. I knew that. Okay. Um, I have that Oingo Boingo album on vinyl. Okay. Uh, well, you said that you were saying that another song was the most like Oingo Boingo song. So I'm just surprised you didn't. Well, mention. that's because I don't like this version. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. This uh, chorus is definitely the most Oingo Boingo new wavy, um, even though it's reworked and, you know, I'm iffy on it. Um, I don't think his vocal work is very good oh, outside man. of the chorus. He has a net so. worth of $50 million. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> God damn it. Am I going to have to eat Danny? Listen, eat the rich does include everyone who's a multimillionaire. I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyways, the contemporary reviews that came out for Big Mess by Danny Elfman, which there were not a lot of like high profile places that reviewed this album when it yeah, came out. Yeah, kind of surprising. It was interesting. Um, Consequence, uh, Consequence of Sound posted about it, not a lot, but they posted about it multiple times on Instagram, which is, you know, I don't know, somewhat right. noteworthy. I would I, assume they had something to say about it. I wasn't able to find anything from them. Really? Yeah. I wonder if this was one of those things where um, Danny Elfman and, and Anti was the uh, label and Epitaph mm-hmm. records were the people who put it out. And most mainstream music review places don't really touch stuff that anti Epitaph has put out because it is such a subsection of a subsection mm-hmm. um, record label. So I just wonder if the connections aren't there to get people the record ahead of time to review. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but I was able to find some stuff that I thought was interesting and, and good um, commentary on it. So to start with, we're going to start with uh, Treble um, and uh, Langdon Hickman didn't give it a score. Um, but did write big mess is unsorted, uh, non tetalogical, like a modernist novel, no straight lines, but instead the shrapnel of uh, the hand grenade bursting. We don't need to ask what the big mess is or ask how he replicates it formally in music and structure of the record. It is apparent, instinctive and intuitive. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty solid review. Yeah, pretty solid. He's He was a pretty big fan of it. He was like, this is a very musically dense, very musically interesting. Right. You can tell that this is a prof- a professional at the top of his game doing doing music. Um, 
Riff Magazine um, did give it a score. Um, Mike DeWald gave it a 9 out of 10. He said, Big Mess is anything but. It is worthy of a listen for fans of Danny Elfman or hard rock or even orchestral enthusiasts. The album's high creative work may not may not necessarily be for everyone, but at its finest moments, Elfman absolutely soars. Okay. Which is a very, very high praise, but also I acknowledges like, that it may not be for everyone. Oh yeah, for sure. I disagree with the idea that big that it's anything but a big mess because I feel like big mess is the most apt description yeah, of no. this album. Um, which gets us to um, our culture mag, uh, Constanzos Pappas, and I'm very sorry, I'm bad at Greek. I failed out of it in college. <laughs> uh, gave it two and a half out of five stars. Okay. Um, that direction, directionless maximalism might be seen as a minor gripe for an album whose biggest strength is that it isn't afraid to completely go off the rails. But really, after repeated listens, you start to question how much of it is done with the audience in mind and how much of it is just for Elfman himself. Mm. So I, I think that's a pretty fair yeah. critique of like, I didn't like it when I first listened to it and I didn't like I liked it less the more I listened to it type of of review and it does it does feel like this album was very cathartic for himself and even said so so it makes sense that it's like did he need to release this music right um as a takeaway i mean you know i'm sitting here like i like this album i like this album more now after having listened to it so many times right um than when it was first released um, but I don't feel the need to get defensive about people not liking it because right. <laughs> like, I also didn't really like it when it first came out and I get it. And like, I'm not even necessarily saying that those people need to listen to it more. Right. Um, yeah, I feel like all of those reviews are like, yeah, no, that's right. That's right. I think this is an album that whatever you get out of it is the correct thing to get out of it. Yeah. Um, but none of those scores or those rankings matter because it's not the official ranking given out by Tape Maker on the list. So let's get to it. Give it the only score that fucking matters. So we're rating this out of seven. Out of seven. Out of seven. Um, you go first. I'll go first. I'm going to give this a three out of seven. Okay. Um, I'm sure if I listen to it again in a few years from now, I'm going to be blown away by this album, by certain parts of it. But I think the production, similar to kind of the stuff we were talking about um, last week with Wasteland Baby, not as terribly, but just a lot of very similar production techniques Mm -hmm. um, that makes the entire album just kind of sound monotonous. Uh, A little bit of the same that was going on with 10, where you can't really pick songs out as much without listening to uh, or listening, looking at the track listing. Um, I think there were some real, real standouts there. I think Sorry and um, oh, what was the other one? The two singles, Sorry and Happy, are definitely standouts. Um I think everyone loves you as a standout, but other than that, everything else is is kind of in this mesh of orchestral, industrial, pulling yeah. from late nineties, early thousands. Yeah. Same 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 tricks over like, and over yeah, again. On each track. Um, yeah, like just bog of musicality. Um, right. So yeah, I'm, it's 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 fine. It's 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 on the lesser side of good for me. So um, I'm a little torn. Uh, you know, I we're rating it as an album and mm-hmm. as an album, you know, it 
the individual tracks that I really enjoy are pulled down by how similar the entire thing sounds to every track on the album, you know? Right. Um, I said that in totally the wrong order, but that, that <laughs> no, you get good. it. You're good. Yeah. I communicated my point and that's all that matters. Um, I, you know, like I, I, I want to give it a higher score than you, but considering that we're ranking it as an album and right. not as a collection of songs, but as an album, I'm going to agree with the three out of seven. Really? Okay. I, yeah. I was expecting you to go at least with the five there. So really? Yeah. Uh, I was, I was like four out of seven for sure. And then the more I thought about it. Okay. Um, but it's hard. I don't know. This album's kind of a, a an enigma. I don't, I I don't even know if this is like even supposed to be an album. If we're going right. to be honest, <laughs> this uh, wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah, it just this was a this was an accident, right? Um, all right. So with a three out of seven, as we pull up uh, the tape maker official list, um, which we're going to give a quick rundown of. Uh, currently, the number one album of all time is "Pieces of a Man" by Gil Scott Heron. Uh, second is "Boarding House Reach" by uh, Jack White. Third is Destroyer's Rubies by Destroyer. Fourth is Blood Pressures by The Kills. Fifth is Ten by Pearl Jam. And sixth, and currently the worst album of all time, is Wasteland Baby uh, by Hosier. Uh, So with a three out of seven, that firmly places uh, Danny Elfman's Big Mess right above Ten and right below Blood Pressures. And I think that is a perfect place for that to land. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that sounds right to me. Yeah, that that sounds very very accurate to me as well. Uh yeah, and look at us go. Look at us go. Ranking that well. Ranking those songs, ranking those albums, not songs. You don't fucking rank songs on this podcast. Songs are bullshit. Yeah, fuck songs. <laughs> albums only. All right, we are going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with our second album, which is The Beautiful Game by the funk band Wolfpack. And we are back with some cool vape tricks by Jared Richards as we go into uh, talking about our second album, The Beautiful Game by Wolfpack. Yeah. Yeah. Wolfpack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wolfpack. Uh, it was released uh, October 2016. Uh, it was their second studio album, but their sixth um, released uh, collection of songs. Uh, mm. They they did four EPs before doing a um, their first studio album before this right song. Um, so um, their first album, Throw of the Arts, uh, was a success for them. Um, it has probably one of their more better known songs, Back Pocket, mm-hmm. on it as well. So this is a their follow up to that. Um, so I'm going to go through who everyone is who shows up on this album. Um, but the main people is Joe Dart on the Joe Dart bass. Uh, Woody Goss is keyboard and Wurlitzer. Um, Theo Katzman is guitar, drums, vocal. And then he also does conga on daddy. He's got a Tesla. Uh, Jack Stratton is kind of the lead guy. Uh, mm-hmm. He's keyboard, drums, guitar, uh, trombone on animal spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Michael, uh, Windegrad does the clarinet on Sweet Science. Uh, Christine Huckel uh, does vocals on Animal Spirits and Marjorie My First Car. 
Corey Wong um, does guitar on D-Town, Marjorie, My First Car, Aunt Leslie, and then Corey Wong, because uh, his parents were so nice, uh, they named him after a Wolfpack song. Uh, Laura Mace did vocals on Conscious Club. Uh, Rich Hinman did the pedal steel guitar on El Jepe. Um, Adam Levy did guitar on El Jepe. It's El Jepe. I thought it was El Chepe. Oh, is it El Chepe? Yeah. El Jepe, El Chepe, either way. I just assumed that I was pronouncing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's got a silent C. Um, Antoine Stanley did vocals on One for One, DiMaggio, and Aunt Leslie. Pegasus Warning did vocals on Daddy, He's Got a Tesla. Uh, Joey Dosick did the alto sax on Daddy, He's Got a Tesla. And uh, Bethany uh, Grinetsky did trombone on Aunt Leslie. But the main four people mm-hmm. who are who are Wolfpack, who make Wolfpack yeah. um, are Joe Dart, Woody Goss, Theo Katzman, and Jack Stratton. And uh... <laughs> uh, so it's a funk slash slightly R and B at times uh-huh. um, quartet. Right. Uh, they all met at the University of Michigan in the music program. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all either uh, studying jazz performance or recording performance. Okay. Um, so that's how they all met. Um, they were in a few different, you know, rhythm sections within the music department, but they all came together um, to form um, a, a backing section. Um, and they released a single called Beastly in 2011, which became their first song, and that encouraged them to actually become a band and do stuff. Um the reason that they formed was to help a friend out on their thesis project on recording onto two inch tape. <laughs> that's uh, that's sick. Yeah. So that's beastly was the just improvised um, funk song that they came up with to help their friend record on a two inch tape. Right. And then another one of their friends needed a thesis for recording people performing live. So they recorded them doing that. And now now it's full pack. All right. Um, they are probably one of the bigger bands out there that don't have any record label mm-hmm. and don't have any managers. So they book all their own shows. They do all of the production, all the recording. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all them, right? They're, they're the only people doing any of the stuff with the band. That's one of those, like, I don't want to look up, look up how old they are. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to look how, look up how young they are. <laughs> they were in college uh, and graduated in 2011. If that gives you, okay, that gives me a little hope. Yeah, yeah a little, little hope. Um, so they specifically formed because they wanted to emulate kind of the 60s and 70s uh, sticks and Motown recording rhythm sections right. uh, that were providing live bands for uh, uh, all those different funk Motown right um, songs as well because. They felt that current backing session musicians were not getting the credit that they were due because there was a lot of play this 10 second clip and then we're going to clip it and repeat it and and, uh, do all of that stuff. Um, For them, recording live in studio on tape is super important. You can actually hear, if you listen to the specific stems of each of the instruments, a bunch of bleed over Mm -hmm. from the other instruments that are being recorded in the room as well, which is part of the sound that they get. Right. Um, They do super minimal production. Mm -hmm. Um, They will produce when they feel like it's necessary, but they try to stay away from it. Um, And improvisation is a super big part of their songwriting technique. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't study jazz without improvisation <laughs> becoming a large part of your songwriting technique. Yeah, um, most songs that they write, they uh, play through two or three times before they record. Mm-hmm. Like they're just they're just they're, musicians. They're on man. fucking point. Yeah. Um, 
Yes. Um, and then the last little bit of notes that I got is they specifically referenced uh, Stevie Wonder, Bernard Purdy, Earth, Wind and Fire, and then Flea as influences. Just Flea. Yeah, Flea. Not the Red Hot Chili Peppers, just Flea. Has Flea released any like solo stuff? I don't know if he has. I guess we'll find out eventually. I feel like he probably has. I mean, once we, you know, because we're doing every they, album of all time. Or they just mean like Flea in Back to the Future or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then one note that someone um, who was listening to them early on online, a, a comment that they made that I think is a very good uh, summation of the band, mm-hmm. um, is they are so in the pocket, they found your grandpa's old watch. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's accurate. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, they're just an interesting band. Uh, they do everything as sustainably as they possibly can, which means they only tour when they feel like they can afford it. Um, they only record music when they can all afford to fly in together to record in one place. Cause they all live in different parts of the right. U S. Um, they once released a, uh, album on Spotify called sleepify. That was a 10 track, 30 seconds, each track silence to, and they told their, um, fans at the time, just put this on when you go to sleep. Mm-hmm. By the time you wake up, you'll have gained a $6 by listening to this album using Spotify's algorithm. Oh my God, that's fucking brilliant. And they used the proceeds of that to fund an emission-free tour. Whoa, yeah. that's super cool. Yeah, so they had over 5 million listens. They just had people paying for their tickets yeah. by th- via their Spotify subscription. Exactly. That's yeah. so sick. Yeah, so they um, had over 5 million listens on that album, and they grossed $21,000 to pay for the tour. Wow. Yeah, so um, they're also very big on uh, Spotify's fucking people over as musicians. <laughs> they're they're one of the more forefront people in that, and um, they're actually one of the only bands to be able to uh, book MSG, Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. without a recording company because they release all their own um, records and without uh, right. a managers or, or a tour. Which is fucking wild. Yeah, so they were able to book MSG by themselves the backing band was just them and some of their friends <laughs> you know like they are doing very well for themselves yeah um, but this was way before all of that this was their second album they were still kind of internet darlings right uh so what do you think of wolfpack um this album yeah this wolfpack? album okay well, both but let's let's <laughs> well transition my, my towards experience the with wolfpack is limited i uh, uh I've known of them for quite a while now, but I've never, I had never really taken the time to listen to them. I've heard a couple songs here and there. Um, and I, uh, I love their Instagram presence. Uh, I watch, uh, they, they like to post videos of them in the studio, um, little clips here and there. And it's always like, Oh God, these guys know how to fucking play funk. Don't they? (laughs) Yeah, they do. Um, but I've never taken the time to actually listen to them. And so this was the first time I actually got to listen to one of their albums. Um, and my overall opinion of the album is that it's super fun. Okay. Um, and I don't think that can be debated. <laughs> yes. Very, very fun. Very different to Big Mass by Danny Elfman. Yeah, I was, I've been saying that like this week we ended up with two very different albums. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's fun. Um, the songs that I really enjoy i really really like Mm -hmm. we'll get more specific about it uh later but 
Um, there are a good handful of tracks on the album that uh, are a little t- too kind of sickly sweet, a little too kind of um, a little too goofy for me. Right. Like there's a track that starts with like two people having a conversation and they're like, hey, we're trying to find this band that was playing at this one club. And they're it's like, oh, yeah, oh, go to this club. Wolf Wolfpack is the is the house band. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I've been <laughs> looking for them. Yeah, no, I know uh, what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, like that kind of stuff like that's, um, you know, that definitely like uh, works in the context of the album where it's like, this is just kind of like a fun, not necessarily silly, but like a little silly, a little irrelevant or irreverent, irreverent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is very refreshing, uh, but is also makes it so that it doesn't really have the staying power that I think that musicians of this caliber would be able to produce if they decided to. Right. Um, what are your overall thoughts of the album? Um, these are definitely the most technically proficient musicians we've talked about so far. Oh, for sure. Like, by far, just technically proficient. Like, obviously, they went to college for music and one of the better music for colleges as as well. Um, I'm very impressed by the musicality and motion that they're able to get out of that technical proficiency. Yeah. At the same time, um, because you could fall into a very easy trap of being like, Oh, look at how good I can go up and down this right. scale where the virtuosity overshadows the, uh, the actual, you know, right. appeal of the album, the actual, the listenability and the, and the relatability. Yeah. Um, um which is, that's what I love overall right. about this album is that like every track on this is a bop. Right. You oh, know, yeah. Every, Every everything one. is something you can tap your foot to. Everything is something that you can get into. Um, and that like at a surface level, like if you have no musical experience, like you can still enjoy these songs. And right. if you do have musical experience, if you can, you know, take the time to actually understand musically what's happening in these songs and mm-hmm. that like, you know, how much improv- improvisation is improvisation is happening throughout this album. It's, it's like, wild. God damn we don't deserve joe dart no we, we do we not bow down to joe dart <laughs> joe dart might be one of the top five bassists alive right now yeah i right. also i gotta point out i'm he fucking he, he fucking stole my style yeah uh my i i love black and white striped shirts especially three-quarter length sleeve black right. and white striped shirts right. i have like five of them in my closet and and i'm purely coincidentally wearing one right now right so what we're saying is uh joe dart watch out we got lawyers coming oh we got lawyers coming yeah <laughs> i know uh, i know a lawyer yeah so. it, it's it, i can't our, remember what his specialty is but <laughs> um and and going off of that like if you just gave me the bass stem from this entire album i would still find it just as listenable without oh, the yeah. rest of everything like the bass it, not not that the rest of the musicians are not talented or quality or deserve like the praise that they do get as a collective. These songs are written around the bass. Yeah, but if it wasn't for Joe Dart on bass, Wolfpack would not be as big as they are oh, no. right now. Like that bass slaps. It is in the pocket. It is driving. <laughs> it is everything you want from a, a funk bassist right. you, you have in it, which is just fantastic. Um, it really impressed like how catchy all of these songs are considering that they're mostly improvisation. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that again goes to the, their talent, their virtuosity, but also their ability to find what is emotionally good within a song and, and, and bring you on a ride a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Lyrics are nonsense. 
Yeah, lyrics so, are just nonsense. Uh, total nonsense. The the vocal lines that they do choose are pretty good for the most part, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and yeah, it's just you can you can just tell that there are two or three of these songs that you'll be thinking about for a while. Like for me, at least, ever since listening to this album, because this is also the first album I've listened to. I put Wolfpack on repeat or Shuffle before. Mm-hmm. But I've never listened through an album, right? And I just keep on wanting to go back to like two or three of these songs, like, ev- like, oh, but what yeah. if I just listen to, listen to that again, yeah, and again and again. I um, so like the lyrics being nonsensical is part of sort of you know what I feel like pulls this album down a little bit, right? Um, where it's like, you know, it makes it like that's one aspect that makes it very clear that like. This is an album about getting a bunch of people who fucking know how to play music together and just seeing what happens. Right. Um, yeah. Like, in, you know, in, all in a room together physically um, and just seeing what happens, um, which is super enjoyable. But then um, because of that kind of being the focus, it sort right. of removes this element of intention behind it. It sort of removes the this uh, sort of, you know, it puts it in this identity of like, this is something that doesn't really matter. Um, right. which makes it feel less like art and more like playtime. Yeah. And I, I think that definitely comes across as these are college musicians who are classically trained right. throughout their entire lives, you know, um, where emotion and meaning behind songs are less important than how well you can play. Right. And I think they get better at it later mm-hmm. in, in their career, but you know, this is still a really good, um, album i think overall um yeah let's do you want to talk about it kind of in in order of what we think is good because i'm going to start with animal spirits yeah let's talk with let's talk about animal spirits um well actually i really want to talk about uh point out real quick what uh fuck i was talking about this earlier but what's the the instrument on sweet science that's that's it's a clarinet it is clarinet yeah i wasn't sure if it was clarinet or or oboe yeah Uh, it's a clarinet yeah i that it's it's basically a clarinet solo and it is so like it's the most um emotive song on the album really in my opinion yeah like i that that clarinet It's so soulful and so like, uh, yeah, Michael Windograd. Yeah. Uh, props to Michael. Um, this is one of my favorite tracks and how everything else is mixed so low and is playing so quietly and everything else is so warm. Like everything else feels like it has a blanket over it because the whole point of it is this, is this clarinet solo. Yeah. I, I do love the fact that they're just like, Hey, our friend who's really good at clarinet is like hanging out with us. You just want to record something. Right. It's completely different than the rest of the album. None of the other songs on the album focuses on one instrument like it does here. And I, I really like it. I think it's a really good intro to the album. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that it's so different and weird and just kind of off the wall. I do agree. It's a very soulful uh, yeah. song off the and album. It's, it's, uh, it's almost vocal in it's, in it's, uh, right. Delivery. It's so, it really fucking does it for me. I'm really happy every time I I turned, I started the album over and got to hear that clarinet. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, it sets you up for a good time Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, but yeah, so I want to talk about animal spirits because I think this is the best pop song, the most radio friendly song 
yeah probably. on the entire album um i really like it i know that the really? lyrics are nonsense <laughs> um and i know that it's not the most technically proficient it is the most kind of reserved and, and laid back mm-hmm. um but it's just catchy I, it's it's a, i think it's a very catchy song see this is <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> Uh, this is probably my least favorite track on the album. What do you not um, like about it? It's, uh, it's too, it's like sickly sweet. It's got the, you know, I tend to use the same fucking, uh, uh, analogies, the same right. terms for everything, but it's got like this candy coated, like it's, it's too happy. It's too mm. upbeat, um, to a, it, to an insincere level to me. It's not a song that makes me feel happy. It feels like somebody performing happiness in front of me. Right. Um, and they're not actually happy. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Well, I think the song a little bit is about the... If we try to get like some deep lyricism out of this, which I don't think we really need <laughs> to... Pull what meaning we can out yeah. of the lyrics. But I think this entire thing is about like how... Re- it's a relationship built on like utter and complete bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it, it makes sense. Well, I, I think lyrically it's supposed to be like, these are two people that are very different from each other, but when they come together, like something good happens and like they make, they both make each other better. And like, it's a very, it's like a very trite, very like, right. You know, I don't know. It just, it's annoying to me. This <laughs> no. song is a little annoying to me. I can see that. I don't think it's about how when they come together, it makes them better. I think it's about <laughs> theoretically these two could like, yeah, they can get together it, for these very disparate reasons uh, that are very surface level, but like whatever. And I think that's part of the like nonsensical, irreverent, like doesn't the right. lyrics don't matter. So singing about this love song. I, you can kind of take like, and their 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 love doesn't matter either. Like nothing here They're, really matters. <laughs> I feel like that's reaching. I, you're probably not wrong. The analogy that I have listening to this song makes me feel like the main character in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh yeah, when he's like. Surrounded by all of these cartoon animated cartoon characters, and they're all like, you know, "We're just trying to get you to laugh. We're trying to ha- make you feel good." And he's just like, "Bug off." That's me <laughs> when, no, when I, I hear I, the song. I can I can see that. Um, I I just think it's fun. I I really like it. I I really like how I do like how poppy it is. It's I think it's a a good example of. Uh, pop music using funk really well mm-hmm. um i really like the piano i really like the keys i think all of the instrumentation choices are really good yeah as I mean, well in within the genre of of you know overly overly happy sounding uh pop songs it's definitely well executed i will say that at <laughs> least yeah no um that's that's fair and i really like the uh breakdown that they have as well this right here Using the um, keyboard and the piano and then having the bass come in as well. Um, it's just fun. It's also a good um, 
uh, prelude to kind of what the rest of the song the uh, album is going to be mm-hmm. um, because it is the first time that you really hear the bass start to go off on its own and then they have this big hit where they all come back together and so it really sets up what to expect for the rest of the album mm-hmm. really well um, in my opinion at, at least but you know I see where you're coming from with the it's a slight slightly too much <laughs> um like okay so we're not going to be going track by track but i do want to talk about dean town because that's one of the highlights on oh this yeah album for sure i i think this is if not the best one of the best tracks on the entire album yeah It's a great highlight uh, of Joe Dard's playing, and I think, see that I, again, I'm fucking winging it tonight, so I don't have my notes, but I believe uh, the bass is actually panned uh, slightly to the left on this one, which is a very strange production decision. That's something not commonly done at all. Right. I do think it is slightly to the right. Um, but I think the reason why is kind of what we were talking about earlier on how there's a lot of bleed over in mm. the mics. Oh, yeah. So it could be something where it's supposed to be um, s- centered. But well, if he's got mics- a, if he's got a amp and cabinet in the room that they're recording in, then that could right. be the issue. Um, yeah. Like something could be like slightly panned a little. If they're emulating a sort of Motown uh, stacks feel it would make more sense to go direct but i anyway well that's like their idea is like we're going to be a backing band but then they make whatever production choices they want right. from there well um, all that to say uh having the bass pan panning something uh like that kind of emphasizes it without necessarily uh raising its presence in, right uh um you know you're able to single it out a lot easier when something's panned like that versus mm-hmm. uh if it's straight down the center um and then you don't have to raise the volume on it necessarily to to point it out um and yeah this is the first track where it's like oh okay joe dart joe dart yeah joe uh, dart on the joe dart <laughs> joe dart going hard on the joe dart Also, um, when they decide to um, match the bass and the guitar together following the same um, line, every single time they do that, it's a great choice. Um, And I love the fact that the drums and the bass throughout this entire song are just like so in sync the entire Mm -hmm. time, even though it is the bassist Joe Dark going off and doing his own shit. They always come back together and hit that just perfect center mm-hmm. of what you want from um, a rhythm section in, in a song. Right. Um, just su- you can tell that these people have jammed together for a long time right. and know when someone's going to go do something. They can read each other without, you know, even looking at each other, probably. Yeah. And then there's a clapping that they add during the song as well. And I think it's a really good use of clapping yeah. during the song as well. It just adds to that. Like, yeah, we're all just here. We're all just jamming. We're like... 
the audience is here with us like let's just go on this ride who knows what joe dart's gonna do next Mm -hmm. type thing um yeah i have i have nothing bad to say about the song yeah um and so probably what i consider the worst song on the album conscious club yeah i i really don't like the vocals i don't like the little skit bit in the beginning i think skits are overplayed and they were overplayed in 2016 um yeah i i don't like the skit um it's a little obnoxious and uh it's got the song's got kind of this um 80s uh like a little disco a little kind of uh clubby Mm -hmm. um you know like it's what you think of when someone is like oh it's a funk song and they don't really listen to funk it's this is kind of i think it falls in that like a character of what funk is. Close your eyes and earth dive in the smud. Just very dry. Like, I, I like the guitar a lot. I think this is one of the stronger guitar tracks on the album. Right. Um, but yeah, the. It just feels very not by the um, books, but um, very just kind of yeah. This is what you would expect from a funk song. That yeah, yeah it's got it's got that kind of like eighties um, like a uh, pop like Whitney Houston uh, like um, oh fuck I can't remember her name right now. Um, but you know what I'm talking about? That kind right. of like disco funk uh, Tina pop Turner? star. Is that who Not you're? Tina Turner. Um, fuck, I uh, I could play this bass line for you right now, but I can't remember <laughs> what the name of the song is. Uh, right. Uh, to Be Real by... Fuck, let me look it up real quick. Uh, Cheryl Lynn. Oh. Got oh, To Be oh, Real. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's got yeah, to yeah. be real. It's right, got yeah. to be, to be real. Uh, that... Yeah, that kind of um, like this is a song that you're supposed to dance to and nothing more. Right. You're not really supposed um, to think about it too right. much. Yeah. But the thing is, it doesn't have the hookiness that a lot of that these other artists that I'm naming have right. in their tracks. Um you know, like I, I, you know, I learned the baseline to "To Be Real" by right. Cheryl Lynn because it it's so fucking good and it's right. so, ugh, I love it. Well, I think the hook that they are trying to have is the guitar and the bass together, but then they have this like attempting to be hooky vocal as well. I I just think it's they they were trying for something and they just didn't hit it. It mm-hmm. didn't hit work at all. Uh, one production choice that I really liked that they did was at the very end they had just the guitar playing the mm-hmm. um main riff yeah and it, that's when they're like uh yeah the conscious club is now under new management <laughs> and it's like it's just the guitar and i thought that was kind of clever right um uh yeah, yeah i uh never mind no, you're good. You're good. Um, another one that I really again, every single instrumental on this uh, album is a highlight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is not their best vocal work, w- lyrically or um, 
how they write the vocal melody, even though I think the vocalists they did get to do the songs were very good mm-hmm. on it. Um, yeah, so El Chepe, El Chepe, El, <laughs> El Chepe, El Chepe, yeah, um, kind of like an eight bar blues feel to it. Yeah. Um, really liked it. Very, it felt a little Doors Yardbirdsy, like early 60s rock and roll, yeah. very, very heavily based on blue scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought they just did a really good job of it. It's a little forgettable for me. Um, I think that I think that every song on this album kind of has a um, like funk has really good hooks to it, you know, Um, has like a really good groove. That's like it gets stuck in your head and it's something, you know, like funk didn't necessarily grow out of disco, but, you know, they're they're fairly similar in a lot of respects. And disco is made so that you can play it. You know, you can have a 12 minute track with a six minute instrumental in the middle of it where everybody's just dancing because they're high on like six different drugs at one time. Because it was the 70s and 80s. yeah, Right. And uh, there, you know, funk kind of has that similar thing where it's like you could you could do like an instrumental in the middle of the track and it'll get stuck in your head on a loop. Um, And I feel like there's a good handful of tracks on this song where that's just missing. Right. Yeah. Um, there isn't there isn't a hook there isn't a uh you know there isn't a specific line that's going to get stuck in your head um, right which i'm not necessarily saying is a bad thing but i feel like especially for an album that that's this kind of like you know fun a little silly a little very friendly and and right uh where i would kind of expect that to be there right but it's not yeah I think this is them trying to do a little, little bit more blues, jazzy stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the way that they do it, but I can totally see it for being a punk band. It it should stick in your brain a little bit more, and it definitely doesn't. But I think I, I think it's also a bit too long. It's the longest song on the album. Yeah, um, it's almost five minutes, and I don't think it needed to be that long either. I really do like. There's a very classic jazz um section in the middle where every single instrument takes its turn right, and they all get having their, a solo time in the spotlight yeah and i think that was really good um i i really don't want to talk about one for one dimaggio mm-hmm. besides the fact that like maybe it's the best baseball song ever and who knows <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't disagree with that um I, the only thing i really wanted to um talk about and this is like peak silly this is peak silly mm-hmm. song um it's just uh, the breakdown um, that they have uh, about baseball in general. Uh, it, the 1990, it is the World Sillies uh, in Cleveland, out with my dad and Joe Table. Well, he blew it, so so now I root for the New York Yankees with Bartoli Cologne. Uh, he's throwing 101 in the ninth inning. Well, he's the best. Just like peak, like right. I'm a Midwesterner who went and watched. I don't know. I went a little Southern there, but <laughs> like, yeah, I'm from, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I'm, I'm from Ohio. And I saw, I, I saw the New York Yankees that, that beat my, my Cleveland Indians. And now you, you, can, I, just, you <laughs> can just drop the ass, but it, it's just, it's, it's silly and it's fun. Oh, yeah. We went out to the baseball game. 
went out to the baseball game, got to see some, uh, got to, got to see him throw some baseballs and, uh, they hit him, they hit him right out of the park. Oh, uh, got, got to see some home runs. Oh, did you now? <laughs> oh yeah. You betcha. Um, daddy, he got a Tesla. I really enjoy this. This song. is really fun. This is a uh, this is one of really fun. I don't. We've also gone track by track at the at this point. We might as well finish out like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, what I want to say uh, specifically is that I love how in tune the bass and guitar is for the entire track. Um, yeah, it's a great use of saxophone as well oh, um, yeah. in the song. It's it's a really good sax song. Um, just a just they they know when to bring in other instruments i i think mm-hmm. um it it's a very good uh musical ear that they have of like what does this need okay we can add this and it would add you know x y and z right to the song The bass is like all the way in the left ear. Yeah, this is the one that where bass is fully on the left ear and the drums are full in the right ear. Yeah. Um, so it does create just like you're sitting in the Which back. Which is a very, that's a very like early days of stereo mixing thing. Right. Um, there's a lot of jazz albums like that and a lot of, uh, a lot of like 70s, uh, late 60s, early 70s stuff that like right. they kind of didn't really have down like the science of what should go where in a stereo mix yet. And so they right. were just like, let's hard pan everything. Yeah. Put these on the left and put these on the right. And then it's like you're there, which isn't, which isn't bad when you're listening, right? You know, if you're listening to a record, you're probably listening with like a hi fi setup with some speakers, not. Right, no, for sure, not on Spotify, on- not with headphones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's it's fine if you're like in a room with speakers physically there versus right. uh, yeah, listening to stuff with headphones. Very interesting decision to make in terms of production to to go for that. Yeah, um, I love the fact that the drums finally have their own solo on this album, and mm-hmm. they just hold it down for the entire time. It's just. Every single time, again, that they choose to highlight an instrument, it just holds it down. It does a great job the right. entire time. And then the just very staccato, aggressive bass Ugh. throughout the entire time. Very matching. The... And you know he's using his fucking fingers, too. Oh, I've yeah, never no. seen Joe Dart use a pick before. What is a pick to Joe Dart? <laughs> Oh, that a pick is what, is what you're putting your hair to Joe Dart. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and also the fact that it matches the very staccato, aggressive uh, vocalization that's happening in the background of this entire song, I think is also great. Yeah. Um, just a just a great track. Um, Marjorie, My First Car, which is a remix, or re-done uh, version, not remix, of My First Car, which was a uh, song off of one of their earlier EPs, adding mm-hmm. the vocal line and just reimagining uh, the song um, in general. You really like this song. Yeah, it's got this sort of, like, um, uh, it's got this, like, dreamy bedroom pop kind of feel to it. That, mm. uh, the vocals are a big part of that, but the the uh, chord choices and the production choices in this in this song are very, it's got this kind of, like it's fun right. and and like you can still you know tap your foot to it, but it's it's got this kind of dreamy quality to it because of the vocals, and I really enjoy it. 
It's definitely something you would hear on like um, the local station 94.7, which is like the um, alternative pop station. It's definitely. <laughs> which is our shitty version of KMHD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's definitely something I could hear them playing. Um, well, I mean, it, it may be a little too musically out there for. 94.7, yeah, but it's a, a, a similar uh, radio station for sure. I could hear them hanging that. Um, I, I'm i not a fan of the vocals. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it works. Um, maybe it's just because it just feels so out of place on a funk album, maybe. Yeah, it's definitely an outlier. Uh, I mean, so is the first track, with, you know, that... Uh, the sort of musicality right going on behind the scenes you know the the background going on underneath the clarinet in the first track it's uh um the that this song and that song are very much sort of outliers in terms of the overall feel of the rest of the album right um these drums also feel the most uh compressed on the entire album yeah as well uh and this song feels longer than it is for me as well um i think part of that is that it is similar to the animal spirits, which I think these two can kind of go back and forth is like the most pop friendly, radio friendly yeah. songs where animal spirits feels like it speeds through its entire song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes sense. Cause that's a three ten run length and this Marjorie, my first car is almost four minutes. And so to not, Oh my God, an almost four minutes. Song. <laughs> I, weird. Oh, I shudder at the thought. <laughs> um, but to have a four minute um, song where they're not really doing their um, funk improvisation, they're not really going for anything. It's just right. sitting back a lot more. You can feel that in comparison to the rest of the album. So that's why it kind of didn't hit as hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but Aunt Leslie is the next song, which is one of my favorites uh, on the album. For sure. Um, I love the trombone, the keys, the guitar, the clap, vocal track, drums and bass, just mm-hmm. like every single choice that they make. I, I really appreciate on it. Yeah. Um, I also really like the fact that on this song, they add sawtooth tremolo on to the trombone. Yeah. And that is inspired. <laughs> that is an inspired production Dude, choice. Everybody just put tremolo on things that you're not supposed to put tremolo on and you'll get good scores. If you on on the only list that matters. Yeah, on the only list. That the only, if you are, you know, tipped any uh burgeoning music producers out there, if you're not sure what to do with the track, just throw tremolo just on throw it. Throw tremolo on it. Yeah, it won't sound okay. bad. Yeah, and if it sounds bad, it's like, no, it's supposed to sound that way. It's great. <laughs> um I think this is also a very classic kind of R&B funk song. Does uh, a beat downbeat really well. Um, it also has a, a breakdown towards the end um, where they fade away to um, like a, a, a Latin style um, guitar mm-hmm. on it um, as well, which I think is a very interesting choice for them to do that and then come back to the um, main point. And then they vocalize at the very end as well, which is one of the only times that they really vocalize mm-hmm. um, within the entire album. And I think, you know, it's just really well production. 
Yeah. That's definitely one of the songs where they like they know what they're doing. They they it's just good. It's a like, you know, I haven't listened to enough Wolfpack to be like this is a textbook Wolf, Wolfpack, but you know, that feels right. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, oh yeah, no, of course you would make that choice. Why wouldn't you make that choice? Mm. Um, so yeah, next comes the song that Corey Wong was named after. Corey <laughs> Wong. <laughs> uh, the song slaps. The song slaps hard. I love the fact that half of it is in studio and then half of it's live. Mm-hmm. Um, that again, inspired production choice. Right. Um, I love the fact that they just have a bit in the middle of the song where they just cut away and it's the bass and the two guitars just all playing together um and if you on point so good yeah and if you listen close enough or if you watch them live um before they go into that he says string section (laughs) (laughs) um it's just it's also just a fun and dancey jam yeah um it's it it's super enjoyable and like it's it's one of those songs you know it hits that perfect spot where it's um you know, you can you can listen to it for the virtuoso playing that's going on, or you can listen to it f- because it's like super enjoyable and fun to listen to. This is a song. If I was um, live production for a um, show, and it's a show that is supposed to have kind of more high tempo uh, bands that are happening, and it's mm-hmm. it's in between the first band and the second band, this is a song I would throw on to like get people to kind of dance right. and. Get people in the mindset. Um, yeah, get, get exactly. People, get their bodies warmed up. Yeah, exactly. see me but i'm dancing i think this is the um song on the album where they also make the instrument sing the most you know yeah you can definitely tell that this is one of the um songs that if you see them live you're gonna like attempt to sing along to the bass line and and the the guitar part Mm -hmm. um as well you know um it's just they know what they're doing It just goes so hard. Um, and I love how they build as well, like the the ways that they choose to build and add in the other instruments and take away the other instruments throughout the entire thing as well. They, they right. It's just really well handled. Um, yeah, they just do a do a fantastic job throughout the entire song album. And also this album's only like 30 minutes. Go listen to it. We've talked about it longer than the album itself right. is, but go listen to it. it it's very could've good. Just had the whole thing playing in the background this whole time. Yeah, you should have. I'm sure that that's not a copyright issue of any kind. No, not at all. Uh, uh, Creative Commons, uh, intellectual property, uh, um, using it as critical critique, uh, fair use. Right. All those. Buzzwords. We're also not making any fucking money off of this podcast. So. No. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, unless, hey, Full Peck, you want to find out? You want to float us some money for talking about your shit? You're definitely getting the most promotion you've ever gotten before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All uh, right, um, so let's go to um, the contemporary reviews of yeah. the album. Again, very obscure at the time, so no big outlets got it, and also they don't have a distribution company to send them right. previews, uh, <laughs> builds of it. Um, so a website I found called the diamond back reviewed it, uh-huh. um, by James, uh, Whitlow. He said in the album, the group looks back over its shoulder at a few bygone conventions of funk while delivering lighthearted and easy listening. It does not tread new ground, but when it comes to groove, Wolfpack has few contemporaries. I can't argue with that. Uh, tastemakers mag. Very close. (laughs) (laughs) You better watch out there, buddies. I know a lawyer. (laughs) Uh, Quentin Hubble um, said, uh, Volpec has fashioned another album that creates funk tunes in a roundabout way, meeting the listener's expectations in ways no one would have guessed. The Beautiful Game isn't a cut above Wolfpack's other releases, but it perfectly captures the lovely off-brand style of funk they have slowly mastered over the years. Yeah. Uh, and then the only scored review that I was able to find mm-hmm. is from The Pop Break by mm-hmm. Andrew Howie. He gave it a 9 out of 10. Okay. Uh, and he said, they're clearly starting to come into their own. The songwriting on The Beautiful Game is just a bit more confident than their previous efforts, and they take a few more risks, delving deep into some grooves where before they might have trailed off into a more conventional water. Okay. So... A well-informed uh, Very well-informed reviews. But you know what's uh, better than an uh, informed reviewer? A reviewer who's only listened to this album like three or four times in a week. Which <laughs> means it's our time to give uh, The Beautiful Game Let's by Volpec uh, its score on the list. So we're rating this out of eight. Out of eight. I will let you go first. Um, Man, I... I'm between a six and a seven right now. Okay. Um, I feel like the songs that go on this album fucking go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the I feel like all of them are still missing a hook. Like I feel like all of them are still missing like a just a little a little bit of uh like that magic that makes funk funk to me. Okay. Um. Not to say that it's not fucking incredible what they're doing, right. um, but it it uh, they there's like a gap that they almost bridged but didn't quite for me. Okay, um, which is why I'm thinking about a six. Okay, I'm. I think this would be easier if we were ranking this first, um, mm-hmm. and we were ranking out of seven because I think it'd be an easy six out of seven for me. Mm-hmm. But since we're doing this out of eight, um, I have to choose between a six, seven, and an eight. It's gonna depending on the day for me and kind of the mood I'm in. Yeah, it would fall anywhere between those three ratings for me. Um, so I'm gonna give it a seven out of eight. The reason why I'm gonna give it a seven out of eight is I have li- thought about so many of these songs mm-hmm. after listening to them. Like they've just been earworms right. for me. Um, so I think for me, that hook and that catch that you're supposed to get from funk, yeah, it hits for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely goes down a bit because I think the songs that are pretty weak, um, they were weak for bad production reasons or 
not as confident as songwriters or, or some other stuff like that. Um, and I definitely think a lot of the songs could be improved, could have found a way to be just that little bit more. But when I'm looking for a funk album, I'm looking for a technical virtuosity. I'm looking for emotion, passion, right. Fun. Um, right. And this album kind of has it all for me. It it gets Mm. dragged down because of what it's lacking in a few songs. But I, I still think overall, this is an album that I don't want to stop listening to. I just want to have it on repeat. Right. Like the whole day. Um, and I think that is a testament to a, a band that I, I still think definitely from this album has places to, to go better. I don't think yeah. at all that this is a perfect album, but I think the fact that I just want to keep listening to it over and See, over again does right a lot for before me. you said your score, I was like, I'm going to lock into a six out of eight. Okay. Uh, just because like the songs that I don't like on this album, I really don't like. Okay. Um, you know, like they're not that they're objectively bad songs, just that they're really fucking obnoxious to me. And mm. having if, you know, if I had like a physical copy of this album, like, you know, a great album for me is an album where I don't need, feel the need to skip any songs. Right. There are definitely songs in this album that I feel like I need to skip. And I think it just doesn't grate against me as hard as it grates against, against you. It makes sense that you right. have it as a six and I have it as a seven. So... We we haven't done this before. We always agree, we always uh, end up agreeing on the score at the end. So right. are we giving it a six point five? Um, no. I think what we do is we take it to the list, and if we take it to the list, currently, if we give it a seven out of eight, uh huh, it goes right below "Pieces of a Man" by Gil Scott Heron and right above "Boarding House Reach" by Jack White. If we give it a six out of eight, it goes right below "Boarding House Reach" by Jack White. And above Destroyer's Rubies by Destroyer. See, that sounds that sounds right to me. I think I I'm going to agree with you, mm-hmm. but I could easily see it going above Boarding House Reach. I think boarding. Well, house- see, we're at opposite ends because you know what what bothers you about al- that album doesn't bother me as much, and what bothers right. me about this album doesn't bother you as much. Exactly, uh, which is why we're doing this list together, and it's great. Uh, right, but oh, we've reached. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, and, and I think so. Re- we have to make cases, right? Yeah, we have to make cases. So I will let you go first. Okay, okay, so. Really, so this isn't about it being better than Destroyer's Rubies. This is this is really about is this better or worse than uh, Boarding House Boarding Reach? House Reach. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which we've talked about Boarding House Reach a lot now because we've bumped around it a couple of times by now. I think. Yes, we have uh, bumped it a few times. Um, I look. We weren't arguing about the um about the composition of boarding house reach really okay if i remember right um and that the songs that the that we considered weaker songs that you didn't like Mm -hmm. um are songs where he was trying to accomplish something and just missed the mark, but it was still like a level of experimentation, right? Yeah. Whereas the songs that I don't like for me, the songs that I don't like on, uh, on this Wolfpack album Mm -hmm. are 
songs that I think are just like intentionally obnoxious to, right. to the point that like it's not uh you know this isn't like a level of experimentation this isn't about trying to like get people to think about something or trying to get right. people to experience music in a different way it's just they thought this was a fun song and i don't <laughs> right um no I, and i understand that i understand your reasoning behind that i think for me that the base level of good is mm. much higher on this album than on Boarding House Reach. I think Boarding House Reach does reach a bit higher, uh-huh. but I think base level, uh-huh. Boarding House Reach is just a step or two below what I think is is good songwriting um, in comparison. And I think the main reason why is because I can look past the goofiness and the silliness and the irreverence that mm-hmm. they have within their pop songs, within the lyrical song uh song choices that they have uh-huh. and see that this is a really well composed pop song or this is this is an interesting i can still do the same thing that i did on boarding house reach which was take out i really like this baseline i really like the keys on this i really like the guitar work on this right. this was an interesting choice on the drums you know all of these different things um on the beautiful game and boarding house reach for me is like one of those things that when I go back to, I'm more intrigued by than like, if that mm. makes any sense. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and I think Boarding House Reach is a album that people should should definitely study and should definitely take lessons from. Uh-huh. But I think, I don't think it's, not that this should matter, but I think it. there's better Jack White work out there overall as an album. And I don't think he hits the highs that he needs to hit for me to feel that it is better than The Beautiful Game by Wolfpack. And again, mm-hmm. I don't even think it's Wolfpack's best work, but I think it is much more listenable overall as an album. That's that is true. I will I will concede that it's definitely more listenable, but I. Like for me, like especially knowing that these people are such extremely talented musicians, right? And that some of the songs on this album are like just like really annoying, happy pop songs of different, uh, you know, like right. And really, and that's the thing; it's really only like two songs for me but it's two also, and a half three but it's also a 10 track album where it's only 30 minutes 35 well but. then let's talk about percentages because that makes <laughs> up a pretty big fucking percentage of the overall runtime doesn't it no and i i think that that validates your your claims a lot um and i think for what we as people who appreciate music uh-huh. what makes the most sense for uh, our list together is to have boarding house reach be above the beautiful game by <laughs> I was about to cave too <laughs> but you already said it so God damn it. <laughs> well no going back I already uh I already added the new no column <laughs> I already added the new column in dude uh, I'm looking at the waveform right now that's you saying that's you saying it yeah yeah all right so uh, not can't be undone no There's, there is no delete button <laughs> no fix and post <laughs> 
All right. Uh, so after this episode, the list currently looks like this. Uh, the best album of all time is Pieces of a Man by Gil Scott Heron. Second best is Boarding House Reach by Jack White, followed by The Beautiful Game by Wolfpack. Very closely. Very closely. After that, Destroyer's Rubies by Destroyer. Then Blood Pressures by The Kills. After that, Big Mess by Danny Elfman. Bit of a gap uh, to number uh, seven, which is ten by Pearl Jam. And then way at the bottom, way at the bottom. is uh, Wasteland Baby by Hoysier, uh, rounding out our top eight albums of all time. Excellent. Uh, and we are moving on to our next grouping of albums, which this next episode is going to be a special listener slash family and friends episode, which means we're pulling two albums from our list uh, recommended to us by our listeners, by family, by friends, by the people we consider close. Yeah. If, uh, you know, if we had listenership that was, uh, um, you know, wide enough, then maybe we would just be pulling from, uh, pulling suggestions from our listeners but uh listen as it sits now our listen listeners are our friends and family so it's really it's the same list anyway i mean we are t- we are towards the 50s of listens so wow how often is your partner listening to our podcast <laughs> thanks babe because my, mine doesn't listen at all <laughs> well i mean they are she's <laughs> sitting upstairs right like literally directly above us and can hear us talking right now yeah anyway, so, so they just get it for free <laughs> All right, and so we are pulling up our friends and family list, and Jared, you are going to honor us uh, by rolling the ten-sided die. Uh, and so, if we do, for whatever reason, land on the two, the same number twice, we're just going to roll again. Okay. Oh yeah, because we're pulling from the same list, huh? We're pulling from one list. Okay. That was a 10. That was a 10. All right. We are going, one of the ones we're going to be doing is The Shape of Color by Intervals, which was suggested to us by our good friend Mitchell. Thanks, Mitchell. Thanks, Mitchell. He's not fucking listening to this. No, but, you know, maybe. You know, maybe. maybe All right. Jared, please roll again. All right. I'm, I'm doing your roll. Oh, no. That's a nine. That's a nine. All right. So we are doing. As the Eternal Cowboy by Against Me by our also good friend, Jake. Okay, so quick <laughs> quick story time. Uh, because we only had 8 out of 10 albums on our friends and family list. So while in in the middle of our break, we uh, texted both of those people to get their suggestions. <laughs> and uh, just happened to roll both of those. Thanks, so. Jake. Thanks, Mitchell. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Mitchell. All right, and so that is it for this episode. Uh, as always, you can find us on a Facebook, uh, Tape Makers Pod. Uh, we'll eventually be on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, both of those will be at Tape Makers Pod. Uh, you can find us on every single podcast platform that you probably listen on. Uh, if your podcast platform allows you to, please rate and review. Uh, and always, no matter how you listen, please share the word with friends we're doing this for fun but we also want to have a lot of people uh sharing the fun with us uh for jared i've been uh your host josh thank you all so much and jared what do we tell the people yeah